Coming live from New York is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And before I move forward, may I request you to subscribe, follow, like, and comment on whichever platform you're watching or listening to this show on. And today we have Deborah Blaine, physician turned author, and also she's a great speaker. Welcome to the show, Deborah. Thank you so much, AJ. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you for taking out time and joining on this show. As, as the topic uh, today is, are our thoughts today really our own? And the undue influences we unconsciously jockey in our daily lives. So what is the problem today? Why is it that we feel that our thoughts are not own and there is a lot of undue influence? What is your view on this? So I don't think that most people recognize that what they're thinking did not necessarily originate with themselves. But we're, we're born into the world and we develop from our parents, um, which is not to say they mean anything bad by it, but from our friends, um, from our school, our education, we develop a paradigm, a way of looking at the world. And we, we measure everything through the lens of that paradigm. And very frequently, it's hard to let in something else that doesn't jibe with the way we think the world is supposed to be. So it makes us uncomfortable. If somebody presents an idea um, that we hadn't really thought about or that doesn't, that it conflicts with the way we see the world and we think the world is supposed to operate, we tend to dismiss it. Or unfortunately, uh, certainly in the United States in this day and age, what's happened is we tend to fight it. And, and this has birthed a lot of extremism, which is something that just, it really, it bothers me. It was one of the reasons, it was, it was the reason I wrote one of my books, because I just felt like it's fractured our communities and our families. People don't talk to each other anymore. And, it, and I don't know that people really understand what they're fighting for. Okay, okay. So why is it, Deborah, that this concept of cancel culture you know, it's developing and people are not so comfortable or, you know, situations turn out to be that, that people are not comfortable with views that do not match their own. And views are getting influenced either by businesses, either by governments, either by, you know, by the market as a whole. And it's almost like a dystopian thought, but... We are not far away from that if we go by the same rate. What is your view on this? So, I mean, I think there's a couple of, of answers to that. One is um, more of the global answer and one is more of a specific. I think people, people need to belong. They want to belong with their friends. They want to belong in their family, in their groups. They want to belong to a particular political party. And very frequently, they don't want to really look beyond that. And one of the reasons for that, which is underlying and I think is really at the core, is we don't spend enough time with ourselves. We don't get to know who we are. And, and we're all different. But, you know, we don't spend time in that center of our soul and, and know and feel confident that the person we are is okay. We're, we're fine. And when we know who we are and we're comfortable with what we believe, we can let in someone else's point of view without feeling threatened by it. 
But, you know, we have everybody's sort of like, you know, we were just saying, you know, we, we don't talk to people. We text with people. We, we look at a headline and that's it. And we go move on to the next thing. And everything is so fast. It's like a, a society of attention deficit disordered people. And, and we don't spend that time, um, you know, really exploring what we think. And um, I think that one of the ways that we change that, we haven't really gotten to that part yet, but I'll come back to that. Um, we're also influenced in, from so many directions by people who have another agenda. So um, political parties have an agenda. Our friends may have an agenda. They just want us to be part of their group. Um, somebody wants you to donate money. or, or um, but, but very frequently, it's about money. It's either about belonging or it's about money. And more and more in our society, I think it's about profit. So, you know, even there's a there's a commercial, I won't call out the brand, but there's a commercial that's been on TV about dishwasher detergent. And they try to get you interested and say, um, you know, I I do it every night, you know, I do it with my husband every night. I, I do it, I live alone and I do it every night. And it turns out they're talking about running their dishwasher. And and they put a value on it, so they get your attention, right? But then they put this value on it, they say you can save water by using the dishwasher because it takes so much more water to hand wash everything. And I, you know, but if you really think about it, which most people don't, they just think, oh, that's cute. Oh yeah, okay, maybe I'll get the dishwasher detergent. Is how many people who live alone have to run their dishwasher every day? <laughs> how many dishes do you use? You know, that part is sort of pushed aside. It's just, and what is the purpose of the ad? The ad is to get you to buy their dishwasher detergent. It's not about whether you use more water or not. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. they don't care. They want you to buy their product. And they came up with a creative way that plays on your values. Oh, this will be conserving the earth, conserving the water. Yeah, okay, great. I'll buy the dishwasher detergent. Oh, and now I can do my, do my dishes every night and, you know. I, I mean, I don't know about you. I just stick the dishes. Not everybody even has a dishwasher, but I, but I mean, I stick the dishes in the dishwasher. I leave them there until I have a full dishwasher and then I run it. So there, there's a lot of, of other motivation. You know, there, there are commercials about drugs in this country. So there's only two countries in the world, I believe, that allow you to advertise medications on television or media or anywhere. And it's, and the United States is one of them. So, um, it, it's an, a dubious distinction for us, but there's there'll be these drugs that they'll advertise, and they'll be telling you all about the side effects, including death and horrible out, possible outcomes. But they'll have this beautiful music, and they'll show families picnicking together or walking on the beach or something, so that your imagery is positive, and it makes you feel like, oh yeah, you know, I don't, I feel depressed sometimes. Yeah, maybe I should take that drug. It's really aimed at making their company prospers. And so I think one of the important things to do when we see these things is to recognize that we need to look at what is, what's the agenda of the person who's saying this to us. Right. And, and sometimes when it's our friends, it's just they want us to belong. And we love our friends and, and we think that they're good people and they're smart people and we assume, oh, well, they've thought about it, so it must be okay, but they haven't necessarily thought about it any more than, than we're thinking about it. Right, right. Talking of dishwasher, I thought it was people are trying more, you know, to brainwash it and not lead you to actually washing dishes or anything else. But uh, you talk of, you know, uh, being fine in today's time. I, I have a question on that itself is that who tells you 
whether you are fine or not. That's the problem today because you know you are fine, but you do, you do not uh, get along with what the society is saying or your peer group is saying or even the commercials are saying or whatever else somebody else is talking on social media, then you start feeling that you are not fine. If, you're, if your posts do not get as many number of likes, then perhaps you start thinking you are not fine. Now, that is the problem. Who tells you you are fine? Because everybody else is telling something different. You have been, you are a physician. You have been doctor for so, so many years. You answer this question for us. <laughs> so I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a human first. And I, you know, I've been subjected to those same feelings of insecurity. Um, and it sometimes it, it takes a little bit to remind myself. But there are so many, you know, the thing about social media, everybody's got a megaphone now. And if you listen to everybody, you know, you'll make yourself crazy because this one thinks this is great and this one thinks this is terrible. But I think that to to be okay with yourself means to to be okay with, you know, I mean, I, I believe there's a higher power, a spirit in the world. I don't want to get into religion with anyone because I think that's everybody's personal choice. But I think that when we connect to that center of ourselves, we can feel and we know that, okay, this is why I believe this, or this is why I feel like this. And we can be honest about it. And we can say, oh, you know, this is reminding me of something that happened, you know, a few years ago, and it made me really uncomfortable. So I'm associating that. And maybe I'm not being fair. Um, but I think that when we can be secure, just secure in ourselves, and know that the rest of the world's not going to necessarily agree. The people in our immediate circle, if they can't accept us for who we are, they don't really belong as our friends. You know, I mean, family, if they don't want to accept us, then it's like, you know, I'm sorry, this is who I am. And I hope you'll you'll let me be me. But I think there's a certain point. Now, it's very hard to do that when you're 12 years old. But by the time you're in your 30s, I think, and it can take that long, you need to, you know, just say, okay, to find your inner strength and say, you know, and I mean, I do some meditation um, and I think it's a really good idea, but I don't think that you have to meditate in order to, you don't have to, certainly not to call it meditation, just to be quiet with yourself, walk around in nature, look at the trees, gratitude. When I, when I look at things and I can feel grateful for the fresh air and the fact that the heat wave broke and it's not hundred degrees anymore or that the air conditioning is working when I can just say, wow, look at the squirrels, you know, look how cute they are gathering their, their nuts and, and just be part of that. Get out of myself a little bit. Getting out of myself in that sort of way actually gets me into myself. It gets me out of the chatter and it gets me into that part of me that connects with nature. And, and that part of me, it's every one of us is, is perfect for who we are, but we tend, you know, we, we let the world kind of smudge our reflection a lot. And, and that's what I think we need to kind of get back to. So when did this world change? Earlier, if you were uh, a bit low, uh, then everybody used to tell you are fine. Everything is fine. The world is not falling apart. But today, the, even if you just go and type on Google about having a headache or anything else, then it looks like that you are not okay. When did this start? Change, changing because profit was also earlier on. Earlier too, there were companies. Uh, earlier too, there were governments, political systems. Sometime during the Second World War, you know what the world mm -hmm. went through. 
it was it has not happened again after that maybe in some sectors different different forms so we have passed that difficult time and we have survived but in the modern times where did it all change that we have come to this that we are discussing that are our thoughts really our own today where did all this influence come from is it only about social media why is it that that a doctor like you is so much you know maybe has thoughts that you know the medical system also sometimes does not give you that much of freedom that you you would want to have yeah we will not discuss purely about the medical system but just as an example uh, that where human beings come first and it's a part of human dignity and human life that's and not just commercial interest so just from your perspective where a physician turns into a novelist and then write, writes fiction you know where where did she see it you have traversed quite a journey want to understand it from your eyes so i mean i think social media plays a big part and i think it's because it's available to everyone everyone's voice is available to everyone and that didn't used to be the case um i also think that there's um there's a disease that we're dealing with right now that is the the most debilitating disease that we've ever dealt with and it's not like it's not it hasn't been around but it's taken off it's the addiction to more you know you can be someone who drinks a lot and uh, gets into trouble sometimes but you're not quite addicted to it yet and it hasn't ruined your life um, but it can progress to that and i think that this addiction to more the greed okay. I think that that's gotten out of hand that we've gotten to the point as a society where it's never enough never enough so when you have 10 followers you want 200 when you have 200 followers you want 2000 when you have 2000 it's got to be 10000 when you have you know if you're making 300000 a year you want to make six if you're making 600000 you want to make a million you know and and there's a certain point where you know you wonder about some of these corporations that make billions that their CEOs make billions and and I'm not a socialist. I believe that you work hard you should get paid well. And you should have, you know, the nice things in life and and I think you should share some of your your wealth with people. But at what point is it enough? You know, and I think that 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 mechanism in our brains has gotten fouled up just the way with a um a cocaine addict or an alcoholic um there's a certain point where you know they'll kill themselves by drinking or drugging because they can't shut it off anymore they have no more control and i feel like in some ways our society as a whole has gotten to that point and it's progressed now so what far. we do about it i think we have to get back to our our basic values and and what's happened is a lot of these places are using our values to entice us to do things that are for their benefit as opposed to it just being a value you know it's a, it defiles okay. the things that we care about okay okay now let's look at it this way whoever it is at the end of the day at the back of every push that influences our minds our children's mind are human beings and somebody is make doing it for profit somebody is doing it for power somebody is doing for maybe something else but everybody has children they have the next generation mm -hmm. 
And if they destroy that structure today, their children will have nothing for what they are working or doing whatever they are doing at the present. Even to rule somebody, you got to have people. You can't, you, you get my point. So don't they get it that not to destroy the minds or influence the minds to such an extent that there is nothing left for the future? Well, I, I, is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> because, I mean, look what we're doing to the planet. You know, we're destroying the planet and it won't sustain us for all that much longer. But, you know, it's more important to make money right now. Um, you know, I, I think that the, you know, how do, how do we combat that is that I think we have to somehow get back in touch with those things that are common to all. You know, we all, let's say, of the people who have children, we all love our children. We all want them to succeed. You know, we may have different ideas about what that looks like, but we all love our children. We want them to be healthy and well. You know, we we all need air to breathe. We all need nourishment. We we all need shelter. And you know, so if we if we could just look at the things we have in common instead of the things that we don't. So you know, even the the extreme. You know, there's this whole movement to extremism, and I'm I'm going to just use an example of, of my feeling about how things originally changed. Excuse me. Now they're coming. They're going back, and I, I'm. I'm. It's very upsetting. But you know, back in the, I don't know, ten or fifteen years ago, I remember somebody coming over and saying, uh, "How do you do? You support gay marriage?" And I was saying, "It doesn't. I, I have nothing to do with gay marriage. Why do you care? <laughs> you know. But but do you support it? I said, well, I don't. I don't not support it. I don't support it. But you have to. You know. It was like, uh, okay, fine. I don't. I don't see why my opinion on this matters." But I'll support gay marriage as long as nobody's getting hurt. What's, it's not my business what they're doing. And, you know, there was, there was much more movement towards accepting of alternative lifestyles. Now, in my country, it's, a lot of it's going the other way. And it's, it's pretty terrifying. But how did, it, how did it get to where we were able to, as a society, largely accept alternative lifestyles? And I personally think... It's because, you know, our paradigms, what we grew up with, the way we saw the world, when a mother's love for her son was greater than the discomfort of seeing him with another guy. When the mother's love was greater, she could start to let it in and say, well, he's still my son. I still love him. I want him to be happy. And when that happened, again and again and again, it became a little bit more accepted and the paradigm changes because now it's not something that's so, you know, out there and unusual. And, and I think that what has to happen is we have to engage our positive emotions in things to reclaim our, you know, our tolerance for differences and our tolerance for different ideas. And, and, and it's the reason that I write fiction, you know, there's, there's so many, no, I really, you know, I didn't know that so many people read nonfiction and they're like, oh, it's a, it's a fiction. I don't read that. Um, but it's, you know, when I read a book that's about self-development or self-actualization or, you know, things that are going on historically, um, you know, I read it, it and it's and I think it's really so valuable. And and I sit with it for a while. And by a week or two later, it's really not in my head. But in a fiction, if I can get you emotionally involved with my characters, 
and they make an impression, then I think I have a greater chance of that story staying with you later on. And so, so I, I, I have a coaching group. I'm also a coach. And yeah. one of my clients yesterday said to me, um, we, we were saying something, we were talking about something and I just said, yeah, well, they're not thinking. And she said, oh, I forgot to tell you, I, I took your book, Undo Influences, on vacation with me and I read it. And, it, and you, what you said just made me think of that. And that's the kind of thing that I really hope for is that not necessarily from me, but somebody will say something to you and you'll flash back to a character and you'll say, oh, right. Yeah, that was like what happened to, to Russell, you know, and and then it's so it's there in a more the things that we look at, we feel emotionally stick around with us longer. And so I call it truth and fiction. And I and also fiction is just so much more fun to, to write, you know, and for me to read, because there's just to me, there's so much so much difficulty in the world that I'd rather lose myself in a book that's got a story to it like that. Right. So you found a middle ground to put your views across in the best manner uh, possible. Now, talking of middle ground, I guess uh, you are as worried as anybody else about, you know, the loss of middle ground in our lives. We want uh, always either in black or white and there is nothing, not, nothing in between as such. So why is it that, you know, we are less tolerant about, you know, uh, people who have different views. We want everybody either with us, and and if you are uh, if you are not with us, then you are you are you are out against us. Why is it like that? Why why does it have to be like that? And why can't we have uh, the middle ground back in our lives? Well, I think it comes down to fear. I think when people are that intolerant, they're afraid, and and I think that perhaps we just weren't as fearful before. We were more accepting that okay, so somebody's different. It was okay. But now we've just become afraid. I think when, you know, there's there's two, I mean, even, even anger, I think, is motivated mostly by fear. And it's a very destructive force because a lot of times fear isn't of anything specific, but it creates in us this sensation of, you know, oh, my God, you know, get that away from me. You know, the fight or flight response, the fight, flight or freeze response. Um, but it's, you know, nothing is black or white. I, I really want to say that, that I, I really feel like there's, there's just about nothing that is black or white. It's, it's everything is shades of gray. Everything, you know, is, is, and I think it's so important that we explore those things because we would understand, you know, that I agree with this part and I agree with this part. And then people wouldn't follow their party just, you know, without thinking. You know, it's like if, if you if, if you're a Democrat in this country, I'm not a Democrat or a Republican, but if you're a Democrat in this country, you know, you're supposed to agree with everything the Democrats do. And, you know, so like I can be I feel like that's just so wrong. I can be in support of gay marriage and not think we should be teaching sex education to kindergartners. Like, why is it that if I agree with one, I have to agree with the other? You know, it's like it, it shouldn't be like that. I can be pro-choice and not be pro-abortion, but, but, but you have to think about that. You know, you have to think about that and say, okay, well, what does she mean by that? You know, like you have to be one or the other. No, you don't because, because there's circumstances that change things. And that's why we used to have judges and judges, I say used to, I guess we do, but I don't have a lot of faith lately, but you know, the, the judge is supposed to look at each situation as it comes up and look at the, the nuances and say, well, the reason that, you know, that this fits here and that fits there and maybe make something, you know, make a, a, a determination that's fair. 
And we're not really operating that way. And, and it's, it's a real danger for our democracy. Democracy presupposes an educated and intelligent population. And we don't have an educated population because people don't take time to educate themselves. They just take the, they take the headline of this and the headline of that and the headline and they think they got the world news. And they haven't, because if you read the story, you can sort through and say, oh, that's not really what happened. You know, back in, we used to have a thing called the Fairness Doctrine that in this country came about in 49, I think 1949, and it was abolished by Ronald Reagan in 1987. And the Fairness Doctrine was in order to have a license, a journalistic license, you had to present both sides of an issue. It was, otherwise you lose your license. You had to present, you could, you know, you couldn't just give one side and not the other. You had to say both sides. This happened and then this happened. Not this happened because you didn't, you didn't draw those parallels, you know, unless you were in the op-ed section, you know, this is my opinion. This is why it happened. But then in 87, that was abolished. And so now the media does not report, even the major news stations do not report both sides of an issue almost ever. It's always skewed to one direction or the other. And we only let in the things we already believe because otherwise it's like, oh, that's, that's ridiculous and turn it off. So when you're only listening to the thing, even Facebook and Google will show you things that are akin to what they think you already like to see, you never see the opposite point of view. So, you know, it, it's just, it's really, it's really difficult to stay neutral and become educated. You have to put a lot of effort into it. Right. Right. So, but whatever you say, you, you are a very positive person. That's what I get when you say that, you know, we must, uh, we, that there should be uh, a lot of room for disagreement and still when we, where we can end with disagreement and then when we can say, where do we go? Do you want to go for lunch? And your objective is to help everybody return to that. Because see, earlier they used to say, you know, let's agree to disagree. And that was not only for political debates, but also in our day-to-day -day lives. Even I used to have a lot of, you know, debates and discussions with my friends over something that, you know, when, when used to play cricket. So the, what, what should be the strategy? And, and used to fight like mad. But at the end of the day, you, you go and, and, and have fun and have a great day. So why, what has changed? Why should we like? But the positive person that you are, you want to return to that. How are you intending to do that? Well, I think that we have to, you know, I try to surround myself with people who are like-minded, not like-minded that they share my opinion, but that are like-minded that they are tolerant of different opinions. You know, I, it's not my goal to make people agree with me. It's my goal to allow people to disagree. You know, it's, it's, uh, how do we do that? I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a little overwhelming. I think, um, you know, I, I, I wrote my book, that particular book with it's sort of to throw it out there. And, and, you know, part of me is like, what kind of difference can I make? But, you know, the Talmud says that, um, you're, you're obligated to try to fix the world, but you're not obligated to finish the job. You're just obligated right. to put in right. what you can. And so for me, it's kind of like, okay, I'm putting it out there and hopefully I'll change the mind. If, if I change one mind, I've changed one world. And, and so, you know, that's, and in my next book, the beyond the pillars of salt is a dystopian yes. future that follows from, and it's really not 
it is positive. I mean, ultimately it's positive, but it, pre it predicts a, uh, a planet that's not habitable, either, not only because of, of the physical aspects of what's happened due to, due to what we've done to pollute the planet, but also because of the political system that arises from what we're doing. So Yes, yes. In your third book, that's due in September. So you will say we are risking our extinction if we do not learn to become better human beings. Uh, I, I would say that we just have to learn to be just human. Better or not, we can't, we can't say. But what is this? Tell us about this book. And, and the name itself, you know, it's very... Uh, exciting and and you know it 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 makes makes you think beyond the pillars of salt tell us about that so the pillars of salt it's not a it's not a biblical book by far i don't really write like that but the whole imagery of the pillars of salt you know there was the 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 cities of iniquity sodom and gomorrah and uh, god is very displeased and god's going to destroy the cities and abraham you know, bargains with God, you know, if there's a thousand righteous people, will you save the city? Okay. Well, what if there's only a hundred? Well, what if there's only 10? God, what if there's only one? And God says, okay, if there's one righteous person, I'll spare the city. In the end, there's only one righteous person. God doesn't spare the city, but he has that lot. He tells him he can escape. He says, leave the city, take your family, do not look back. And so the, the, the symbolism of looking back is, you know, wishing for, longing for, um, and his wife, Lot's wife, looks back and she's turned into a pillar of salt. And so um, in, in the book, there's, there's just one line in, in my new book that where a, a father um, is, is telling his son, you know, that, that the, the whole country has become like Sodom and Gomorrah, that it's, it's just filled with iniquity. And, and that the people who gaze upon it longingly are like pillars of salt. Um, but the, the title being Beyond the Pillars of Salt is, is where can we go from here? How do, we, how do we release ourselves? How do we move on and become better people? You know, and, and, and so it's not really religious. It's just that you know, I wanted a, a powerful symbol to, um, to show you know, what, what we're becoming and, and, and how we must move away from that. Right, right. Where do we go from here? Uh, as a doctor, as a physician, uh, Deborah, you have seen thousands and examines hundreds and hundreds of people, human beings. Now, of all the species on this planet, humans had this brain to take everything forward. We are supposed to have evolved the most. Yeah. If you look at the animal species or other species, they too have evolved or not evolved. That's a matter of debate. But they have also passed the same time in their own manner. Mm -hmm. What is it that they have not changed? The monkey, if you see a monkey or any other species, even the most dangerous of them, they have that affinity among themselves. And it, has, it carries on. We human beings have distanced not only from each other, but now we live in our own cocoons, many of them depressed and feel lost. What has happened? How has this evolution gone? Has it gone wrong? And where can we go from here? That's a really interesting question. Um, 
So, you know, like we usually excuse the behavior of animals because they are acting according to their nature. We call them amoral. They're not moral or immoral because they, they don't really think like that. Um, human beings, I mean, we, we really are lost, I think. We, we have two natures. We have, you know, even the Greeks, the Thanos and the Thanatos, uh, Eros and Thanatos. And um, we have this drive towards destruction, but we also have this drive towards love. And the difference is, I think, that we are able to be, become aware of that and make a choice. And, um, and I think that, I, I don't want to say that people are choosing the death and destruction. I think they're not choosing at all. I think that most people, you know, if you really sat them alone in a room, um, they're, they're, they're good people. And I think that they're just not. So this just reminds me, there's a colleague that I work with sometime because I'm still working very part time. Um, and she is like, she's an incredible woman. She's, she's a doctor. So she's smart. She's educated. She's fostered. She's fostering five children under the age of seven. She's a caring human being. And yet I, you know, I mean, I try to talk politics at work anyway, but if she, you know, she's convinced, you know, that the election was stolen. If the subject comes up, it's like a haze comes over her. It's like this miasma of, she's just not there anymore. It's, you know, that whole idea of cult is, is what I think of. And, and <clears throat> excuse me, and then, you know, we say, there's, there's that saying that for those who believe, no proof is necessary. For those who don't believe, no proof is possible. Right. And right. there's like, there's nothing that you can say to her to, to even, for her to even allow in a glimmer of, you know, just to, just to allow, to, to say, okay, let me just think about that. Um, and I, you know, there's, there is that reaction that people get. There's that, that cultism where, where um, it's like not open, you're just not open to any other point of view. And I don't know that those people are conscious because this is a good human being, you know, she cares. She adopted all these kids, you know, she's, she's taking care of them, even though it's a hardship, she's a smart, educated woman, but she can't bring herself to think outside of her box. And I think, I don't think she's made that choice consciously. I think that she has let it happen to her. And I don't know, it's very frustrating for me because I mean, I like her. I, and, I, and I don't know how to communicate, you know, it's, it's like, I, I wish we could just communicate. I wish she could just understand that I don't agree. You know, it, it doesn't, we can still be friends. We can still have lunch together. You know, I, I just, I don't know what to do when people have that sort of, haziness that comes over them. And, and, you know, you find that on the other side too. It's not just uh, on the conservatives, the, um, the liberals also have their extremists and, and there's, I, I don't, you know, I registered with the democratic party for a short while, two years ago, just to vote against two people <laughs> because I just, I said, I'm not a socialist. I'm not, that's not who I am. But, and then I went back to being independent because I just don't want to be associated with either one, but it's, it's just, I, I don't think it's necessary. I think people just abdicate their choice. And, and I think that for the animals, they don't really have the choice in front of them. Right. So my last question then is that, do we still have a chance to reset, to put things right? Or do we have to tag along with Elon Musk to Mars? That's the only way out. 
I don't, you know, I would like to think so that we have a choice, a chance. Um, my book doesn't necessarily say that. I mean, I did a lot of research. You know, we actually have the knowledge of how to create a warp drive. <laughs> and I discovered all these things about how to escape. But, um, you know, we don't live in a bubble. So it's really hard for a community to survive outside of what the rest of the world is doing. And I don't know. I mean, you know, it goes back to that. I feel like it's it's my job to sort of put it out there but I can't, I can't get become devastated by, you know, feeling that I don't know how much of an impact I'm going to have. So um, I don't know. I would like to think so. You know, would it take, uh, you know, aliens from outer space to come and attack us for us to say, okay, we're all humans. Let's band together. How long would that last? I mean, you know, it's, it's right now we're so divided. And, and unfortunately, one of the things that brings cohesiveness is a common threat or a common danger. And I hate to think that we have, I know we have a common danger that the planet is, you know, right. we're destroying it, but it's not happening fast enough for us, for people to see the result, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, but you know, I want to drive my car that, that guzzles, you know, like 14 miles to the gallon or something, you know, or less. I want my Yukon. I shouldn't call out a, I've never driven a Yukon, but <laughs> you know, just, I, I don't know. I hope so. I hope so, you know. Okay. Okay. We'll continue to find answers to these questions. Humanity as a whole will continue to find answers to these questions in you know in in their in its own manner, but let me ask you about your book uh, and and about your uh, the job that you are doing of coaching. So how can people connect with you? How can they can seek help from you, take your advice and get uh, get hold of your book also, the earlier books and as well as yeah, the new one. So um, if you go to my website, DebraBlaine.com, um, you can access everything. I have a coaching page um, and I have, I've actually also, uh, this book I'm, I'm self-publishing. So now I have a little publishing company um, and you can find the books on there. I don't have a, I'm currently looking at the um potential cover designs. So as soon as I choose one, that'll be up on the website too for my third book. But my other two books are on there and you can, or you can go to amazon.com and put my name in Deborah Blaine under books and you'll see my books. So, right. right but you can right. really get them anywhere that books are, you know, it's, it, it's, it's globally distributed. Right. Right. Thank Thank you so much, Deborah, for this great discussion. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I, and more educated now and to understand different points of view there are no right or wrong answers to any of such things people will have continue to have their own views on things but it was nice to know your point of view and your understanding of things and also about your book so thank you so much for joining in on this thank you so much aj i really enjoyed it on this note it's a wrap on this edition of the kj masterclass live Thank you so much once again.